thanks for joining me today, Reverend Junshul Lee, for another Transcendiates podcast. You know, on this podcast, we talk to people of various faiths and backgrounds and um, get to know their spirituality, their walk in the world, uh, whatever they're about, okay. honestly. Uh, so, welcome. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so tell me what you want to know about. Well, uh, so I mentioned you're a reverend, but what's your reverend of what? What do you, what do, you do? What's, what's your uh, spiritual bent and uh, religion? So I'm a Swedenborgian minister, and, but I'm also Buddhist, Taoist, and well, Christian. All those things? All those things. Well, that's, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me more about that. How, how do they come together? So, um, the journey started long, long, long time ago, probably. Um, I grew up in a Presbyterian church in Korea where I felt Christianity a little dumb and narrow. Mm. So I left and became a Buddhist. Oh. Yeah, Buddhism was wonderful, inspiring, taught me meditation and all the wonderful principles, but I have a little problem with that. Uh, something called the karma and reincarnation. You had problems with the idea that uh, you, of karma and Karma and reincarnation. Hmm. So, Karma, simply putting that um, there is a system of recording and judging all my actions by we don't know what. Oh, uh, yeah. And by what kind of standard, we don't know what. Hmm. But there's karma and good karma and bad karma and there is a judgment on it. And I was not comfortable with somebody else judging me without giving me clear standard on what it is. Hmm. And then reincarnation is attached to the karma saying that based on what I did in the past life, that's what I have in this life. Hmm. So if you have a very bad life, that's all because you messed up your past life, but of which I have hmm. no memory. And that didn't sit well with you? No. Hmm. And also, um, I couldn't settle with that, so I moved on and I became a Taoist. So you were in a, a Christian family, would you say? Yes. And so you left uh, your involvement with the church? Church, most of it. Most of it. Mm -hmm. And you became a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you left that around what age? I'm curious. So, um, in my teen life, I was very active in the church, mm. and later teen, I was switching to the Buddhist. So, probably very late teen, like 17 to 18, 19, 20, I was probably Buddhist. Mm. Maybe we could go up to 20, 21, then around 21, 22, I became a Taoist. Taoist. And how, how did that transition uh, well, work for you? Well, Taoism is um, in a way a wonderful thing because you don't have to please anything. 
you don't have to be bound by the rules and standards that you don't understand. It doesn't even talk about whatever that is beyond your comprehension. So Taoism simply focuses on what is naturally good for you and, and present with you. So what you have, the way you're born, is good naturally as it is. For example, if you are born with uh, nine fingers instead of ten, that's good because that is natural for you. Yeah. And if you have yeah. um, any type of well, whatever your situation is. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. If you are born, it's great. Happens to be born with only IQ of eighty-five, that's still good. You're not doomed. You're not damned you still have ways to find to be happy and nurture your life. Now what about if you're in a, like a situation where you're being hurt? Uh, mm -hmm. how, how would a Taoist uh, approach that? Well, those are more or less um, involved with more than yourself. So mm. when you are in the situation of hurt, usually it involves either family, village, community, society. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't say it's the fault of the society, but uh, as, as a family has its own character and personality, society has its own personality, a nation has its own personality. And if you happen to be in one of those, yes, um, it, it could be much more challenging doesn't mean that you cannot find a way to make the best out of it. So Taoistic, Taoistic life is not about you want to be the most happy or happier than other people. Mm -hmm. You simply want to live the best way you can, you can find in the way you are. Mm. That's, that's inspiring. So, yes, yeah, so it's, 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 it's Comparison is totally unnecessary. It's not about competition no. or, yeah. So sounds healthy. Yes, you, and there's yeah. no God. There's no God. In <laughs> no Taoism. God. No heaven. No hell. Um, Although you still call yourself Taoist, and I believe you believe in God. Yes. So yeah. that came after. So mm. the Reverend part is I'm a Sudanborgian minister and. That's yeah. when and where I, it was Immanuel Sirenburg that introduced me God or concept of God I could understand and actually relate. So the 18th century theologian, Immanuel Swedenborg. Yes. Uh, which actually allows me to kind of uh, segue and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to, to this topic, but um, we're, we're sponsored by the Swedenborg Foundation, also inspired by uh, Swedenborg's theological scientific writings and, uh -huh. um, so you found you ran into them at the writings or yeah. his writings or yes so um, going back to my life a little bit after serving army in Korea I came to US and I went to Bernathen which is uh, a, actually a town by Swedenborgians and there is a college Established by Swedenborgians. Yes. Mm. So I majored actually Swedenborgian religion there. Oh, wow. So I studied every single Swedenborg book, uh, each book by book. 
And that's when I found this concept of God, which was um, kind of reasonable and acceptable. And then followed by my, I'll have to say, mystical experience that confirms that this spirituality is, is compatible to me or real to me. So your experience has kind of confirmed what you were learning or, or yes. reading. Yeah. Both in dreams and actually an, in real mystical experience. Oh, well, mystical experiences. Yes. Tell me, tell me more about that. <laughs> so um, I still remember that was in November 1993, uh, four, actually, 1994, and November in Pennsylvania could be very cold. Mm. It was one of those very dark, uh, rainy, cold day. And rain is very icy cold. It's just like, you know, enough to be turned into snow. So it was a lunch time, so I went have a lunch and walking back, um, kind of feeling very freezing and, and cold, and I didn't have an umbrella, so it was even worse. Oh. Then this happened that, okay, one moment I'm in this dark, rainy, cold place, which is real physically. In the next step, I smell flowers. Really? And then I see suddenly uh, all colors of flowers all over. I'm in a garden of flowers. Well, I see, see sunlight and I smell the flowers and I feel the sunlight, it's warm. Five <laughs> steps, it only lasts. And then after that, I'm back to reality or physical reality again. It's, it's dark, no, rainy, and cold. No way. No, yeah. So That's that, incredible. That convinced me that what I am studying is real. Because yeah. I wasn't praying for it. Mm. I wasn't asking for it. It just happened. And were there... That's, that's amazing. And were there other experiences? Well, yes, later on. Yeah. Uh, many, many others. Um, really? Whenever there's a significant moment happens, I would have um, those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, actually... Um, the most significant one happened around my marriage. Hmm. So uh, I never really dated anybody after I came to U.S. because I didn't believe in marriage. Hmm. I didn't want to get married. Hmm. I didn't want to even have a relationship. So I was a single guy uh, at, after the ordination. That was year 2003. And it was in May. Um, I was in meditation and there was a message coming and saying, there's something wrong with you, Jincho. Then I asked, what's wrong? And I see images of me counseling these couples who are about to get married and uh, me telling them how, how uh, beautiful and significant, fulfilling is the marriage relationships. While, I don't believe it. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So I admitted that, yes, there's something wrong about me. <laughs> and 
then I just kind of told my God that, well, then give me instructions. Hmm. I'll follow. Afterwards, I was having dreams. Now, in the dream, I am meeting a, a, a specific woman, and I'm dating with her. Okay. <laughs> uh, I never see her face. I have dreamed of the same woman at least four or five times. And I know it's the same woman because it feels safe. But I never see her face. But at the end of the May, my mother, who was visiting me, were going back to Korea. So I told my mother that, you know what? If you go back to Korea, you find a, a young, beautiful woman you love, let me know. <laughs> I might be interested. So my mom went back to Korea. Two weeks later, she called me and really? said, I found one. Yeah. So I'm going to send you her photo and email and phone number. All right, you contact her. Okay, son. So I received the photo and she was nine years younger than me. So I thought it's got to be a joke because that was not really marrying age at the time. Yeah. So I sent her a very simple email saying, thank you for your trouble to meeting my mother. Sorry about my mom bugging you. And then she sent a reply, and I liked it. That's the first one, that first, um, I don't know, message written by a woman that I liked. A message like to you? Yeah. yeah. So I emailed back, hmm. and she replied back. So we did this almost like a month. And then we're ch calling each other. So we're calling each other like, and talking on the phone at least three hours almost every day for another month. Mm. Now she wants to come to see me. And she came to, she flew to Chicago airport. And I drove from Cleveland, Ohio to pick her up. And as she is walking out to the gate, I saw her. And that's the lady I saw in my dream. You had the same feeling. Same feeling from her. I, I'm, I'm sure that's the that's the one. That's powerful. Oh. Yeah, that's the one. So uh, that was two, three p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, next morning, about seven a.m., I proposed to her. Really? And she said yes. Well, how old were you all? Well, that's incredible. <laughs> that's that story. But how old were you all? So I was, um, that was 14 years ago, so what, that was, I was 33 and a half, 34? Yeah. Yeah. And she was like early She was 20. 25. Okay. And you, so you met her, and then the next day you proposed? Yes. That, another mind-blowing <laughs> moment for me. She said yes. <laughs> She's uh, uh, Even more incredible, uh, maybe. Uh, um, because... <laughs> This is the one. This is the one I saw in my dream. And she felt it was reciprocal from her? Well, she's, she's saying that she was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a woman never tells the secrets. Sure. So. Well, congrats. Thank you. But that was well, 14 years and three months ago. Mm -hmm. so. That's, I, I, don't, I don't have superlatives enough for it, but yeah. that's, that's incredible. So yes, to me, this, um, this interaction with this God, relationship with this God, and spiritual realities that I get to experience as my mystical experiences mm. uh, confirms what I study and learn from Immanuel Sudenborg. Mm. So that's why I'm 
minister of Sweden Virgin Church, but I still um, practice Buddhistic principles of uh, meditation and Taoistic principles of understanding world and relating to the people. Mm. So, so yeah, you have these different aspects of your spirituality that all inform your your living and your work. Yes. Um, your ministry. Yes. Oh, that's inspiring. I feel, well, Swedenborgianism um, itself seems to lend itself to kind of a pluralistic or ecumenical approach. Ecum yes. Um, yes, I mean, Immanuel Swedenborg himself was very hardcore um, Christian. Yes. But... With a, a few in, different in, ideas. In, yeah, exactly, but in the yeah. conceptualizing uh, or sharing his experience of the divine, he kind of gives a room that God could be much bigger than just Christians. Mm. Mm -hmm. He himself is really fixated with uh, Christ and, uh, and, and then the Christian body. Yeah, Christ is like the one person of God. Exactly. Like incarnation of God. Yeah. Yet, explaining this divinity uh, per se, he, he explains in a way that the creator God is much bigger than every religion, not just on earth, but in the universe. Yeah. So it, it has to be um, somehow accessible by all other ways. And also he explains in many times that good God creator is goodness itself and all good is from one creator therefore all goodness we cultivate goes back to the same source yeah so goodness is, itself is, is God exactly it's sense. the presence of God so yeah, the personhood of God and, yeah. and so it doesn't for Swedenborg it doesn't really matter what you call God or mm -hmm. even if you call yourself religious per se mm -hmm. but that um how your heart is connected to divinity and goodness and yes. wisdom. Um, again, we have to separate what Book said literally in the book hmm. and what can be applied as Swedenborgianism. They're not identical. Yeah, Swedenborgians don't necessarily believe everything Swedenborg said. Exactly. Yeah. Well, exception of one uh, branch that we have. So um, what Swedenborg says is pretty, um, I would even have to say, quite fundamentalistic in a way of believing Christ as incarnation of creator. Mm -hmm. And you have to go through that gate. But Swedenborgianism has uh, understanding that is from Swedenborg's explanation and revelation that makes a room for a bigger understanding and interpretation. Well, he was very explicit that he saw peoples of all faiths, even aliens, yes. in the, the, the grand human yes. heaven. Yes. And that his definition of even the word human is kind of different than ours because yes. he thought of God as like uh -huh. God or goddess as in, the inclusive humanity, the human yes. itself. Yes. And that we receive our humanity. Our, Yes, so spirituality cre creator is, so. is human, mm. therefore we're human, not the vice versa. So we are human or humanness is 
is received into the vessel that is given into us. That's kind of Swedenborg's creation um, story yeah. about Adam and Eve. That kind of the natural world expresses ideas or uh, almost like metaphors of God and God, him or herself, mm -hmm. in its creation and in its evolution and in human beings growing. Yes, so I guess um, we're kind of covering all over. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so, um, we are called the Transcendians. That's right. Podcast. So uh, I guess Swedenborgians are more or less uh, very creationistic evolution, meaning that God set the rules of um, creation for the natural world. God set the rules and kind of the, the whole creation progressed. And that's probably how it is explained by the science in a way. So he would agree with most of um, scientific evolution theories. Mm. And in the progress, it happened that there came, there came the beings who were capable of accepting and receiving the humanness from God. And that's when uh, we came into being. The human spirituality or exactly. kind of mindset. Yes. So in, in a way of saying, uh, that's why in a way of saying the progress of whole uh, natural evolution, according to Swedenborg, is to give birth to human, humans or humanity. Mm. Wow. Because um, in this natural uh, progression or creation uh, by having the humans at the end the kind of the energy that was going out from God is now returning back to God by means of this human agent. The humans could reflect on God and, and love God back. Exactly. In a way that you know maybe a, a Yes uh, and also being the rink almost between the physical reality and spiritual realm too, mm. that humans are huh. dualistic beings. And so we can have spiritual visions. Uh, yes, <laughs> we can have spiritual visions at the same time, natural visions. Oh. And that's, that's kind of how he explains and envisions about the purpose of being a human. And humans being more than just the people on this planet. So yes. humanity and his ideas is, is I, I guess, a wider term. Much, much wider. Okay. And, and humanity means all beings who is um, capable of receiving what is of the Creator and cultivating them mm -hmm. and even returning it back to the Divine. So According to Swedenborg, again, in one way he's very literal that human has two arms, two legs, one head. On this planet. On this planet. Yeah. But on the other side, he also gives a room that human is, is not physical. It is, it is the quality of one's spirit. Well, I guess he, yeah, he also t he talks about heaven as kind of like a giant human in a spiritual sense mm -hmm. and he does talk about like i was i don't know like i was in heaven's arm or something exactly <laughs> and then he, he totally applies the the physical 
body of us, the the earthlings, mm-hmm. <laughs> into that, and then lungs and heart and organs and all the parts. Oh well. <laughs> yes, but again, that's that there are you know. But at the same time, he explains another thing about it is that um, our mind is, in a way, we can say modern day programmed or pre-programmed to conceive and process only the things that is understandable, acceptable, meaning real to us. Yeah, that it has to really, we have to really relate to it. Exactly. So it begins with our our language and concepts and everything that is conceptualized in a way is things that, that actually make sense to our mind and that is actually real to us kind of in our own image exactly we view everything so yes so it is for us that we cannot see any other image but our own image as a human Hmm. so we anthropomorphize everything in a way yes that's 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 our doing (laughs) it is not god telling us that the human image is our image and we are the center of the universe Hmm. but it is our doing that because otherwise, a lot of times, it, it feels like it's meaningless, or it's not real. Hmm. And when a human being feels things that is meaningless and or not real, what do you do? What? You walk away, or you avoid, or you, hmm. you reject, hmm. or you fight against it. Because whatever that's meaningless to you, would you like to spend time with it? Or you just use it for some other purpose that exactly. may or may not fit mm-hmm. its uh, enjoyment or yeah. its life. Yes. I mean, also, like, if it's not real to you, why would you want to spend your time and energy with it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there is a challenge now um, from Swedenborg that are you going to connect yourself more to the physical reality which is innately real to you Hmm. or are you going to cultivate yourself to discover and connect to the spiritual reality which is your destiny well in a way we're in the spiritual reality now we're just not aware of it right so you're not aware of it not real to you but that's how it goes is Tudembuk's idea of heaven and hell is that if we are fixated with our physical reality, not cultivating inner spiritual reality, we will not believe the realness of heaven even after this life. We'll, we'll think that we're still just living. Exactly, that we never as, as, a, as a human <laughs> on earth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we still enjoy all the taste of the food and these are the best things we can have. Yeah, because he still talks about having bodies and environments in the spiritual world, mm-hmm. but them being a little bit more metaphorical. Yes. A little, a little more trippy in a sense. Like Absolutely. Trippy, trippy things happen. <laughs> yes. So angelic bodies and angelic um, societies do not rely on, or they don't think they are actually having physical body. They acknowledge and accept, and they're living in a spiritual reality. And angels being humans in heaven. Yes. For Swedenborg. Yes. According to Swedenborg. Post-humans. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But the the spirits in hell are uh, somewhat way still they are enslaved 
by their own concept and illusions of being still physically human as uh, with the body. So that's what they are craving and, and, and kind of thirst for, yet they will never have it. In my idea of hell, um, or from Swedenborg, it's like, it's not that you were in the wrong religion. No. It's that you love your hell or you love, you love selfishness or domination, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So much that even in the next life, where you can still learn, you can still grow, uh -huh. um, you, you, reject, you reject everything else. You just want to hurt others or dominate. Or well, that is actually the specific part of actually still believing you are living just like on earth. Well, in that state, you just reject the idea that the spiritual world. Exactly. So rejecting the possibility of being a spirit or spiritual reality fixates human mind to be just perpetually on earth or physical reality on which the ruling, dominating, hurting, um, comp competing against each other is kind of perpetual reality. Yeah. And heaven is opposite or actually um, almost absent of all this. Yeah, heaven, from, from my readings, heaven seems to kind of manage hell or, or the Lord manages yes. hell in a sense. Yes. It tries to make sure things are going okay. That yeah. You know, there's like... Um, but, you know, I also remember like spirits from hell and Swedenborg's writings that believe they're Satan or, you know... Yes. So they uh, not actually they are not they are believing satans they believe they are gods so some of them may actually realize that they're in a, a spiritual environment but they just want to distort it or um mm. now we're in the weeds of uh, spiritual <laughs> yes. spiritual uh so uh cosmology they, yes <laughs> um that's that's a Let's put it this way, um, every spirit in hell acknowledges that they are not in this world anymore. At least some do? Or I think, in my, my belief, they get to have this moment of awareness once in uh, a while. Oh, okay. Uh, yet, they reject that. They just, they're like, I'm not interested. In exactly. <laughs> and then they create illusions, delusions, fantasies that in which they become rock stars or gangs or, or president, or whatever. Abusive. Yes. You know. So that, so they only dwell in their own um, delusion and fantasy. So in a way of saying, any spirit in hell, whatever they're thinking, they're doing, is not real. Huh. Mm -hmm. For the most part, right? No, for the all part. <laughs> for real. Yeah. Well, because reality finds itself in goodness, in a way. Yes. So, huh. because, as you mentioned, it is the divine, the creator, who manages hell. So, rule number one in hell is that nobody can hurt each other period so but they believe that they're doing it hmm. and that that is their own uh, fantasy delusion and illusion which 
Sridham book mentions is very powerful that if a human spirit is sucked into it, they believe that illusion or delusion is real. Yeah, I, f I feel like we, we all get into that state sometimes. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> we, we could get into that. And we have a narcissistic, you know, people. And we, have, we have all that. We can still hold, hold, have that. Something we all hopefully try to work through. Right? Yes, yes. And let me, let me kind of shift gears. Um, so you, you proposed, she said yes, and you're still married to her. Yes. Yeah. You have a couple beautiful kids. Two kids, yeah. <laughs> well, um, it has been a journey. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was an easy and piece of cake, but it, it's been very um, good for me. And mm. every moment is precious and, mm. and it's still ongoing. Not done yet. Right? Yeah. My son's 13 and he's going to high school now. And daughter's uh, eight years mm. old. So they're still growing and changing and adopting and that's wonderful. Yes, and relating and rejecting and all the fun things you know as is supposed to happen. Like us, <laughs> just like us, yes. Mm -hmm. And I should mention we're in these kind of loud chairs, but these chairs are kind of historically significant. Actually, all the chairs in this worship space yes. in the San Francisco Swedenborgian Church. Yeah. So these are made by um, Scottish craftsman A.J. Forbes in, in earlier than 1895. Uh, we paid $4.50 for each chair. <laughs> in 1895. In 1895, <laughs> which was a lot of money, I believe. And they're considered to be arts and crafts, yeah, early the, arts and crafts. These are uh, art and craft, uh, no nails and glues used. Oh, wow. And all the materials used are local. The principles of art and craft are that you use all the local materials and you, you, you make um, something or things that are simple and useful. Hmm. So the chairs are, I wouldn't say gorgeous, but they, they look beautiful, simple and beautiful, very useful. We're still using them after 120 years later. That's incredible. And simple, useful, beautiful. Do those fit within kind of the theme of the Swedenborgian church? I believe so. Yeah. That's why it became National Historic Landmark as the birthplace of, you know, Californian art and craft movement. Oh, cool. So it's a national landmark yes. um, in the city. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of, it's the only church in the city to reach the highest yes. national landmark mm -hmm. level, right? Yeah. And we have <laughs> these paintings by... William uh, Keith. William Keith. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yes, uh, so William Keith was probably the best friend of Reverend Joseph Booster, the minister the who envisioned and basically probably built this space. Oh. And um, the, the bench over there is called the William Keith bench oh, because he used, to, he used to sit there. Hmm. Also, William Keith is best, one of the other best friends is John Muir. Oh, yeah. And John Muir usually stayed in uh, Yosemite. And Reverend Joseph Booster quite often traveled all the way down to the hotel in Yosemite and even baptized mm. the children of the gentleman who built the first hotel in there. So he, he knew John Muir as well? Probably, Probably. yeah, very well. And, uh, and I'm sure uh, our viewers know this, but John Muir uh, helped establish the Sierra Club and um, 
dis- you know, discovered the aspects of Yosemite and, and Mere Woods and, Mere Woods and um, wrote really beautiful uh, uh, treatises on nature and, mm-hmm. and actually helped to establish the, uh, the National Park. Yes. In fact, uh, he asked Keith to, to do some of the paintings of the parks and, right. and they presented them to Congress uh-huh. as like, we need to make sure this stays yes. like this. Yeah. That's cool. So yes, John Muir is very close to fr- close friends to um, Keith, mm. and Keith and Wooster are like like best buddies. Yeah, I heard they're kind of joined at the hip. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, Muir and Wooster um, might have met or they're good friends too. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is quite the the space. And it is quite the space. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, very very intimate and kind of um, a nice place to sit and meditate. Well, it's nice to have the fire here yeah. in, the worship, <laughs> in the worship room. This is also a very unique uh, fe- you know, feature too, actually. Um, yeah, you ask people that how many churches do you see in the world that has actually fireplace in the sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen anything else yet. No. Um, and so your journey here, how... Tell us about the church, the, the people, and the community. Well, Sweden, San Francisco Swedenborgian Church has long history, mm-hmm. 128 years old. Um, so it has its own characters and its own personality, in a way. It stays from the beginning uh, open, liberal, but also we welcome many uh, spiritual seekers and sojourners. And they often are found to be very intellectual, intellectuals, but also quite independent, strong-minded people. Yeah. And uh, those are the people somehow we attract more. Yeah. And partly the space, partly the city, partly the theology. You, theology. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they're big books, the yes, Swedenborg. The big, big books that Swedenborg wrote, which <laughs> is not easy to understand. Although I recently saw some first edition Swedenborg books, and they were much thinner. So I don't know what we're doing. Actually, <laughs> they're in Latin. Uh, Latin is much clearer and simpler. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, when when the translation is happening, I believe the translators are trying to bring their own understanding into the book. And my apologies, but I'm not sure all translators are all theologians who understand what Swedenborg is actually talking about, or they are just a linguist. It's a process trying <laughs> to trying to uh, simply convey meanings from one language to another. Mm. Uh, problem is when you are translating concepts of uh, complex and uh, theology, and yet you don't fully understand the theology, then you have a big uh, limitation on how much or what language and words you can choose. I, I can see that. That so if you don't have any awareness of kind of the bigger picture, what it you know. Yeah. What it's about, it's harder to and translate. And also, Swedenborgian theology is not a systematic theology. I would think of it as like a process theology. <laughs> it, it is almost <laughs> process. Process. Uh, we, 
or another word for is Pluralistic. a contextual theology. Context, well, yes. So Siegenburg is never consistent on using the same term, you know, exactly same way hmm. throughout his books. He, he may use it the way, in a different way, but it's the same word. So when translation happens, same Latin word could come into many different English words. Oh, yes. And there's no, like, standardized Latin dictionary for the Latin he was using, at least. No, it's called a, you know, kind of Neo-Latin. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes he would, you know, kind of uh, practice his own liberty of using Latin words the way he feels fitting. <laughs> Probably made new, some new Latin words. Yeah, I heard that there are, I'm not sure how many exactly, but there are some words that, like, you can only find in student books books or the way he uses oh, really? very uniquely. Well, um, at the foundation, the Swedenborg Foundation, so you might um, know better. maybe we, we could have some of them on and ask them about that, that yeah. whole process of yeah, translating. Yeah, I mean, and there, there is a Chadwick a Latin dictionary which kind of um, lists all these unique vocabularies that Swedenborg uses. Oh, yeah. Yes, mm. that, that's quite a lot. Seems like a similar <laughs> issue, you, we'd find a similar issue with like translating the Bible or any sacred oh, yeah. text any, that yeah. you know we're not yes. we're not in tune to that the ancient version no, of that but language. Like if it's a, so, the, the beauty of the Bible is that most of it is story. So translating story is huh. much easier in a way because you just keep the storyline correct and the names and places, then you can still. Um, you know, kind of um, carry on the meaning and message mm -hmm. more or less uh, correctly or close to the original message. But if it's a theological explanation... Like Paul's letters or, exactly. or something. Yeah. yeah. Then it really depends on the capacity of translator, either the person understands the context and the complexity of the language and meaning behind it or not well and even like names and places I, i've been realizing that most names in at least biblical scripture um have a meaning yes and you know you may run across the meaning in like a footnote but when i'm reading moses 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 i'm not thinking drawn out of water no i'm thinking the, the word, mo like the name Moses. Or, and I or, feel like... Or Charles, still like a bearded old guy, Moses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not thinking about like the meaning of, of the places or the uh, names because I don't know them. They're not as apparent as if I were reading it in Hebrew yeah, or Greek. Exactly. And I feel like there's something lost there in English. Huge. You know? Yeah. You read the story of Lazarus and I forget the exact meaning of uh, Lazarus, but reading it as Lazarus was raised from the dead you know, runs one way, but reading the humble servant was raised from the dead. Uh -huh. It's almost like, oh, there's, there's something maybe even deeper here. Yeah. You know. I mean, one of the most common mistakes we're making is like, we think Christ is a name. But when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not a name. Hmm. You know, it's the same it's as Messiah time. in the Old Testament. Anointed or... Yeah, it means simply anointed. And in the Old Testament context, you anoint in the beginning before the time of king, the high priest. Mm. 
yeah, only high priest is anointed. And the high priest would anoint the king when there was a king, right? Yes. So king and the high priest were anointed. Yeah, even I forget, what's the name of the Persian king that helped the uh, Jewish people, is it the Darius? Hebrew people in it's like Cy Cyrus or Sex, someone yeah. knows. Uh, <laughs> so post it in the comments. Yeah, <laughs> but name, name he was very, called anointed. <laughs> his name is very hard to pronounce. It starts with X. X, right? No. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And it, yeah, so that's an interesting thing. So there's other anointed ones in Hebrew scripture and yeah. biblical scripture. No, no, I mean, there could be many other anointed ones because um, anyone who is anointed with oil is actually. You know, that's how it, it, it is called. And Christ is called that, if, if you have a high Christology, mm -hmm. as kind of God is the anointed. All these, all these roles, like the priest or king, yes. were anointed because they kind of represented yeah. so, so God. The, as we apply this, as a Christ is kind of later developed concept of the divinity of Jesus. So they mm -hmm. usually apply as, as a human born of Mary, they call it Jesus. After the resurrection, they call it Christ. Some, that's kind of some Christian kind of practice. Okay. So they're kind of drawing a line that there is a man Jesus and there is a glorified God Jesus. But that's Christ. Yeah, glorified God. And in Swedenborgian theology, uh, God is like an inclusive humanity, is gender inclusive, mm -hmm. right? And so the glorified Jesus would also be gender inclusive because there's yeah. no differentiation in Swedenborg's thinking between them. Well, yes. And huh. gender thing is kind of odd and interesting thing. I think it could, it yeah. could be, um, yeah. How do you picture, portrait a real God who is both or actually no gender? If you put it into like um, Taoistic symbol of Tai Chi, Tai Chi means yin and yang together. Yeah. And yin and yang together is not yin, not yang. Huh. Really? It's Tai Chi. So hmm. Tai Chi can only exist with both of them with equal power. Wow. That's beautiful. Now, we, we separate that and saying man is yang and woman is yin. But in Tai Chi, in, in this Taoist concept, yin and yang cannot be separated. You know why? Why? Then it doesn't exist. Huh. Huh. It cannot exist without each other. That's amazing. Because within the yin is the seed of yang, and within the yin is seed of yang. So yin is constantly becoming yang, and yang is becoming yin. So in a sense, like, if I can apply this to kind of my spirituality, um, divinity in a way is inclusive of all those things but but transcends it all because yeah I mean yes so, so portraying uh, glorified God in the shape of male is is a male thing it's a human man <laughs> preferring the image yes but at the same time if we portray glorified God as a woman that should be a woman thing because it shouldn't be woman or man. Or it could be a man thing. It could be healing for all of us to have an so, inclusive idea of God. Right? But the problem with us is that then how can we portray uh, a being that is neither man or woman? 
Well, in the Transfiguration, Jesus shines like the sun. Maybe that's how you do it. It's all the light. It's just too bright. Yeah, and actually, probably that could be right because in one of my mystical experiences, um, I met God, but God was light. Oh, really? No, there's no human figure in it. Wait, so you met God? Yes. And really? Tell us about that. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's another long story, but okay, this one should be the last one. We could, yeah, we could end with this story. How about that? So, um, year 2000, was it, so, let's see, four, five, six, seven, could be probably year 2006 or seven. Um, I thought I am done with doing ministry because, hmm. um, well, many things. Um, like I've been struggling with uh, working with this small, tiny denomination called the Swedenborgians. General uh, church, and I the was, general convention I, yes, of the New Jerusalem. I was working in Cleveland, Ohio. 95% of the population are Catholic or inactive Catholic. And, hmm. and the growth of church was always challenging. Well, but also I have not family, wife and son. And they have a need, and mm. yeah, I mean, working for a small, tiny church, it's very challenging. Yeah. And I signed up the poverty help because I, my payment was that low, and now all kind of things were happening. And I thought, oh. you know what, God? I think I'm gonna make a lot of money. I'm gonna quit this. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna make a lot of money, and I'll build two churches for you. How about that? <laughs> well, I'll support 10 ministers. So you'll go make money and then and yeah. use that money. Yeah, yeah. so I'll, I'll make a lot of money and <laughs> I'll support 10 ministers. So see, you can have 10 other ministers and I can go away, okay? Whoa. So I kind of made myself that deal to God. Yeah. I was driving to one of our gathering convention in Michigan. Hmm. And that was what I was thinking in that five hours of driving. And yes, I was totally thinking, I'm done. I'm done. Um, after I'm, I'm back this from Tracy Street, um, I'm quitting. I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to go uh, actually uh, go for MBA and go for business because um, it's reasonable. It's not working. That was <laughs> what I'm thinking. Then yeah. uh, we had ministers meeting and three days at the end of the ministers meeting, I was having, uh, we we're having the communion. So after taking the bread and the wine in an intention way, I came back and just sat down in my seat and just, just closing my eyes, not necessarily praying or anything like that. Mm. Then suddenly, <clears throat> I saw uh, a dot of light appearing. My eyes are closed. Okay. Okay? Yeah. But I saw light. Like I, I felt strange. And then either... I was sucked into the light, or light came to me and overwhelmed me, either way. <laughs> yeah, either way. <laughs> either way, next moment I Whoa. feel I'm in the light. And then uh, I hear the voice saying, again, Jun Chol, you got it all wrong. Really? Then I, then I knew that, wow, I am in front of my God. But I can't see God, but I can feel God. All I see is light, like all white light all over. Mm. And 
amazing. I just kind of sat there or stood there, and then another, you know, voice said again, Jun Cho, you got it all wrong. Mm. So, yeah, I, I do what I do the best, ask, right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What did I get all wrong? And then kind of um, my God works in a way that showing all these things to me like as an as a, uh, image, like a movie. So I saw all my struggles that happening that, that kind of led me to the decision, right? All the things like, one of the things happening was that within a week, my son was in an emergency room. And then a week later, my wife was in the emergency room again. And she was here and she was there. And we had some struggle getting into all the medical help because of our, um, you know, situation and all that. So, um, and that and the other things. And somehow, this is really interesting thing. I said to God, yes, I get it. But I thought to myself, what do I mean by that? <laughs> you see, so one part of myself understood the message, but the other part is still processing. Well, like different yeah, somehow parts I, of you. Exactly, different layers. Like that's, that's, the part, that's the moment I felt like I have my spiritual self, my natural self, and they're not 100% agreeing on each other. Huh. But Go in different directions. Yes, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but God showed the images again, and then my my natural self felt like I got it, huh. and um, huh. God told me that uh, your wife, your child are gift from me to you. You don't. You can't take care of them. You can't protect them. I protect them. That's deep. That's deep. And I fully realized that all my uh, excuses and promises to God were all stupid. Okay. <laughs> we're called transcendiates for a reason. It's I-O-T-S at the end. Idiots. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Often. <laughs> yes. And then God actually told me that you do what you promised in the beginning and I take care of the rest. And then I saw me, myself, doing ministry. Hmm. So, well, yeah. Powerful. Uh, yeah, but that was a real experience that was much more powerful than other ones because for almost like next three or four days, I felt um, I'm halfway floating. You were you're kind of on a high mm -hmm. after. That. Yeah, well. yeah. I don't you know I don't I don't drink I don't smoke. Okay. <laughs> but I, that's like how I felt. Like I felt my body weighs only halfway or so, so I felt like I am in between. So that's my experience of uh, meeting my God. I, I can't imagine that. <laughs> yes. And that's what's convincing me to stay in and do what I do and try to find the best way I can do with it and be content with whatever comes. 
It is not my job to change, make the changes or, or even like help you to be better. Hmm. In a way, my job is to be there, to be available, and to do what I can do. Hmm. And the rest is accomplished by God. I think we should end with that. Thank you so very much, <laughs> Reverend May. <You're> <laughs> uh, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again. Okay. Um, and thank you for uh, tuning in to uh, the Transcendence Podcast. Uh, have a wonderful and right. uh, blessed day. <laughs> Bye.